Welcome. We want to talk tonight about the Gospel of John. We've talked about the person, the life, the legacy of John. We've talked about his history, literary major themes in John. We've talked about uh, how he believes Christ is the Logos, the Word of God. We've talked about the seven witnesses that reveal that Christ is the Messiah. We've talked about the seven significant signs that Jesus demonstrated to show who he is and the I am statements, the seven I am statements that we can find in John that declare that he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is God. Uh, And then we are going to get in now into the farewell discourse of Jesus. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit We're going to dig into the passion narrative and then to the epilogue, the final chapters that John shows us about Jesus' ascension and his final words to his disciples. But today, I just want to talk about the Holy Spirit in the book of John. We often think about the Holy Spirit, and if you're any time length of a believer, you'll know a lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, maybe in Corinthians. But a lot of what we know about the Holy Spirit even is in the Gospel of John. So you think about that, that's kind of interesting. Uh, not a lot of the other three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a lot of information about the Holy Spirit. We're going to see some things pulled out in Luke, and, and uh, the Great Commission is baptized, you know, uh, go, in the Father, go into all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's in Matthew, at the end of Matthew. Uh, Mark says, signs will follow as you believe. In my name, you'll cast out demons, you'll speak with new tongues. But John really settles in on Jesus' final words to his disciples. And let's narrow in the last week of Jesus' life uh, pre-resurrection on earth. He comes into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey on Palm Sunday, and we'll talk more about that next week. But he begins to minister to his disciples at nighttime. In the day, he would go and teach in the temple Uh, and kind of debate with the Pharisees and try to see if the people would believe him. He, we know that he'd have the, the Palm Sunday moment with them as he entered in money changing. He would take, you know, take the temple and, and, uh, ransack it a little bit, cast some people out who were hypocritical. And then in the evenings he would minister to his disciples on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city. And one of the things he would talk to them about is, uh, the Holy Spirit his oneness with the Father, and how he was the way, the truth, the life, how he was the vine. And in the middle of that, he'd have his high priestly prayer there at the end. But one thing he would really hone in on is John's, where John would tell us is about the Holy Spirit. So if you have a Bible, turn, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus reveals the third person in the Trinity. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, it's all one God. There is only one God. But he is distinctly represented in three uh, revelations of himself. They are uniquely separate, uh, but they are one and the same. They all have differences, but they all complement one each other. We've talked about the, how God is so big, he's beyond our comprehension, that God is plural. Let us make man in our image. He's a plural being. He's so infinitely beyond our understanding. And Jesus begins to talk to us about this other way we'll see God. And that's the Holy Spirit. So John's Gospel pays much attention to the Holy Spirit. Several passages in John 14, 15, and 16 are going to talk about the nature and the role in the life of the church and in the individual believer. 
So we think about creation. In John 1 and Genesis 1, we've talked about parallels each other. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And in Genesis, as John 1 parallels Genesis 1, Genesis 1 talks about the Spirit. And the Spirit is used for the Greek word pneuma, meaning breath or breeze, breathe. So He, the Spirit, if Jesus is the Word of God in Genesis 1, like God said, that's Jesus. God said, that's the Word. God said, let there be light. There was light. That's Jesus. That's, it's Him. He's the spoken Word. Well, the Spirit was hovering over the sur- source, uh, surface of the deep. That's the Holy Spirit. It's all God, but we see him manifest even in the creation story. And John sees him as the breath of God. Genesis 1, two, through, uh, 1 and 2 shows that the Spirit of God, it moved on the waters and breathed. God breathed into man the breath of life. Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us that Mary was even overshadowed by the glory of God and was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is always this active, life-giving thing. It's Him, it's He, it's God. And so we're born again uh, by the Spirit. Jesus talks about the Spirit in a sense of wind with John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. You can't tell where it goes, but you see the effect of it. Where it comes and goes, you don't know, but you see the effect of the wind. You feel its presence upon you. And so Jesus begins to talk about that experience here in the night of the Mount of Olives. And even at the end of this week, when Jesus is resurrected, Jesus will breathe on his disciples in John 20, signifying, receive ye the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. So think about this as a life-giving agent. Uh, it's he, it's him. It's not an it, it's God. It's the Spirit of God. He is God, but he's distinctly represented here. And we know this same Spirit was upon Christ. John 1 had already introduced him as a dove, descending upon Christ out of heaven and remaining upon Christ and leading him even into temptation into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days, one of the Gospels tells us. The Holy Spirit led him. He was the baptizer of Jesus. Jesus was baptized in water, but he was also baptized in the Holy Spirit at the beginning of his ministry. And Jesus even said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit in a way that no one's ever been full of the Holy Spirit. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit at his beginning of ministry. He's born of the Holy Spirit uh, in Mary's womb. And so uh, he's all about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's all about Jesus because they're all the same. And so the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, and, and we know that the Holy Spirit qualifies and equips Jesus for a messianic purpose. It's The Holy Spirit is the agent that Jesus would use to perform miracles to hear God's voice, to receive strength. John the Baptist said that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and in fire. That he'd come baptizing the Holy Spirit in this age, the church age that we see, but also he's going to come and baptize with fire, a refining fire, whether it be in this age or see it as the purifying of sin or in the next age when he comes in judgment. So you can see that there. But his nature uh, in believers, let's talk about that for a second, how he's life-giving. The Spirit enters a person when they repent and accept Christ as Lord and Savior. So they're born again by the Holy Spirit. He gives them a new nature. They become alive with Christ. Now they're awakened to this new spiritual life uh, with this awareness of sin and the God's will and purposes. And he gives them new birth in John 3, 5. Look at there with me. John chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. You cannot come to heaven unless you have the Holy Spirit 
alive, creating new life inside of you. This Christian life is all about the Holy Spirit, and Jesus focuses on that. It's not a religious thing. It's not a tradition thing like he would talk to the Pharisees. It's not something you can memorize. It's a truth that is spiritual. It's a truth that is life-changing. He talks about abiding in me and I in you. That's the Holy Spirit. So he's introducing us from the very beginning of John's gospel in John chapter 3 that Christianity, what he's about to offer in this new covenant, is something that's alive, something that's life-giving. Just as the Spirit breathed life in Genesis, the creation story, and gave man natural life, so Jesus is coming to breathe new spiritual life into the dead bones of man. All right? Think about it, Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 about the dry bones and how Jesus is going to reform the heart. And, and we see that happening here now. Even John 3, 8, when he talks to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So everyone who is born of the Spirit, that's how it is. This something I'm talking to you about is a mystery. You and I uh, here today, we're not going to understand it. He goes on in John 7. We're leading up to the moment here, okay? So follow along with us. John chapter 7, verse 37, as we get into that night. So let's, we're catching up with ourselves. In John chapter 7, he would tell them after the feast, he would say, On the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, from his innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And John added in there later, But he spoke this of the Spirit whom he... Whom, the, for whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus would be glorified, and John says he breathes in John 20, breathes on them the Holy Spirit. John rewinds. In John chapter 7, he says, remember that moment where Jesus said, you've got to have this living water? Living water is moving water. It's not a dead still water. It's like a river where it's constantly flowing, and you know that if you taste of it, uh, it's safe to drink. It's not going to kill you. So ancients would only drink living water, which is running water, so they knew it was less likely to be contaminated. So what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is life-giving. If you want something life-giving, come to me. I'll give you something eternally life-giving. And then he goes on, and look back in John chapter 4. He would tell the Samaritan woman at the well uh, at the same thing. He would tell her, hey, you've got to drink from me. And he says in John four twenty three, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So not just truth, spirit and in truth. For such the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The truth is Jesus, the Logos. He is the truth, the way, the truth, the life. And so the truth is God has sent his only son so that whomever will repent and believe would have eternal life. And Jesus says, if you worship God, it must be in this twofold understanding. One, you must believe that I am who I say I am, and I've come to do the works of my Father. But at the same time, you must worship. If you want to be a true worshiper, you must have the Holy Spirit in you, and you must worship Him not out of rote traditions of what mountain or place you've been to or what your pedigree is or who your, who, what doctrinal positions you take on these minor issues, but you must worship in and through a relationship that is alive, that is born again, that is living, that is life-giving, that is wrought and bought by the Holy Spirit. It is born again of the Holy Spirit, something you cannot do in yourself of your own. It must be some spiritual encounter, spiritual life-changing thing that has happened in your life that only comes when you repent, you believe on Jesus, and then you receive 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, so this, this, so this Holy Spirit makes a new nature, a new birth, a blowing wind, a living water in the believers. It's life-giving. There's that point. The second is it's a spirit of truth. He testifies of who Jesus is. Through conviction and repentance and leading into faith, the Holy Spirit brings that presence of Christ into the life of a disciple. So he's born again. He's a new life giver. He's the spirit of truth uh, who is going to lead them. He is the counselor helper. Look in John 14. He begins to tell them about this counselor helper. And the word counselor here is a legal term that goes beyond this uh, legal assistance uh, to that if any aid was given in a time of need, it's, a, it's like that, that uh, advocate. It is the legal counsel. It's like a lawyer, someone who would aid you in hard and trying times. And it goes beyond that, even to say, look, I'm here to help you in a time of need. The Greek word here is paraklete, which means advisor, encourager, exhorter, comforter, intercessor. And the idea is that the Holy Spirit is here to stand alongside the people of God. He's going to testify to the hearts and minds of persons through the truth of Christ and the claims of Christ. So uh, he's got this nature in believers. He's the spirit of truth. He's the counselor helper. And he has different levels of involvement. Look in John 14, 17. The Bible says, He is that spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. With you there in John 14 and verse 16 through 17 means he is with people in the world. He seeks to draw them to Jesus. And they may not personally know or see him, but he's with them. Then we move to he's in you. John 14 there in 16 and 17 means that all Christians will have the Holy Spirit in them because we are born again and alive in Christ. So he's with the world, convicting them of sin, drawing them to Christ. He is in the believer, all right, allowing you to be born again and alive in Christ. But then we also are going to see him coming upon people. And we'll go beyond John here just for a moment in Acts 1 through uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. The baptism becomes this upon them experience. And it goes back even to Jesus' baptism where the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. We, re- we see the disciples getting breathed on in John 20 that he is in them. But then Jesus tells them in the other Gospels to wait to receive power from on high. The other Gospels will finish that story. And they would receive the Holy Spirit upon them. And it is a baptism experience. That it would be a manifestation experience. It would be an empowering experience. Much like Jesus received right before he would go into the wilderness to be tested and enter his ministry. So Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit by birth. He is indwelled by the Holy Spirit his young childhood years, right? He's, of any, he's born in indwelling of the Holy Spirit his whole life. But then before he enters ministry, it comes upon him with a messianic anointing, which is, means an empowerment to do the task God has called you to do. And that's where we see the Holy Spirit here. He'll breathe on the disciples. Then he'll say, wait till you receive the upon you experience. Wait till you're baptized, immersed on the outside with the Holy Spirit, where you have these uh, just as the oil was poured on the priest's head and the dove lit upon Christ, these tongues of fire now come upon the disciples, and each of those are symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So he's different levels of involvement, and it's increasingly so. As you get saved uh, and you repent of your sin, he indwells with you, lives, lives within you, a live relationship abiding in you. Then when you accept Christ's great commission and you say, Jesus, I want to reach the world for you, I need your power to do that, I'm lacking in myself, 
then we begin to seek God even deeper and deeper and deeper. And we ask God to empower us. And often there's manifest signs with that, um, speaking in tongues, prophetic utterances. And the most important thing is boldness. Boldness comes when you receive the baptism and immersion of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples would continue to receive that immersion experience over and over. And the, the book of Acts would call it, the, they were filled, and they were filled again, and they were filled again. And you'll see that through the book of Acts, and even in Paul, uh, in his life, that they began to be filled. Every time God began to use them to do a new task, or some specific persecution, or moment had come, they would be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul would say, hey, keep on being refilled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that's our, our, our motto, our vision, our goal here is be saved, be filled, and keep on being filled uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This whole life is a leading of a deeper relationship. And rather than look at it denominationally or religiously, uh, doctrinally, as something that I need checks and, you know, hey, I got this and did this and I did this. No, this is an abiding relationship that is life-giving, that you cannot be a Christian without a deeper and deeper and deeper indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The life-giving thing that you had yesterday is not enough for you to continue on as, on your own strength and ability today. This Holy Spirit relationship is the source, the supply. It is the living water that you need to drink every few days to survive. You need a drink from the Holy Spirit continually and constantly. And if you want to do the ministry God has called you to do and reach this world and talk to your friends and neighbors about Jesus, you need a continual re-empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So don't think of the Holy Spirit baptism as some check thing. It is a just continuation of this lifelong, life-giving, empowering relationship that we have. But we should expect and receive manifestations and experiences of the Holy Spirit. So he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit's work uh, here in chapter 16. Look in chapter 16, verse 7, 9, and 10, and verse 11 as well. He turns to this discussion of the Holy Spirit, uh, and let's just read that there for a second. John chapter 16, if you can take a second and turn there. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. It says this. I'll, let me go back up to, uh, no, that's fine, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and here's what he's going to do. He and he, when he comes, he's a he, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged." So he says he's here to, like I said, he's with the world. He's to convict the world of sin that results from disbelief in Jesus. Number two, he's going to convict the world in the area of righteousness in light of the life of Jesus. Then he says he's going to convict the world in the area of judgment because Jesus has defeated the prince of the world who now stands condemned. So only through the Holy Spirit can you be brought to repentance leading to faith. And the supreme function of the Holy Spirit in this with you uh, understanding and His work on the world is to make Jesus real so that that person will become a believer and they will glorify God. All right? Now go back to chapter 14, verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 12 through 15. Let's read that. 
He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is made possible because of your position in Christ, which the Holy Spirit gives you. So we have the Holy Spirit having this new life-giving nature in believers, a new birth, a blowing wind, a living running water. We have Him being the Spirit of truth that helps us worship in spirit and in truth, testifying of Christ that you've got to have a spiritual relationship in addition to who you know Jesus is. He's the counselor, the helper, the advocate. His levels of involvement are with you, in you, and hopefully, as you continue to seek Him, upon you. His work in the world is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And because we have this relationship with Him, we have this work we can do. It's coming through prayer and through power. So whoever believes in Jesus, he gets to do the works that Jesus did because Jesus is up in the Father and the Holy Spirit in Him have this relationship. So even though Jesus is up in heaven, the Bible says He's interceding at the right hand of the Father for the believer. The Holy Spirit, Paul will say in Romans 8, is praying with our spirit back up to Jesus according to the will of the Father. We have this direct communion with Him. He says, it's your benefit that I go because I'm just one person here on the earth. But if I go and I send the Holy Spirit to you, right, that you all will be filled with the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. Christ has to go. He has to die for the sake of mankind, right? As He dies on the cross, what happens in the heavens is He pays the ransom for men's sin, the sin that separated us from God and separated us from God's Holy Spirit. We couldn't have the Holy Spirit indwell with us because we had sin issues. The sacrifices only atoned temporarily to appease God's judgment and wrath. But it did not let men go into the most holy place without serious, serious sacrifice. One guy a year was only allowed in. He was allowed in by fear of death upon much holiness works, and even then, he couldn't see God's presence because he had to make an incense of cloud, a cloud, and so he couldn't go in. He only could go in once a year under the threat of death with blood. And so, Jesus pays the price for our sin with his blood that allows us access into the holy place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And this great promise that was broken in Genesis chapter 1 where mankind had the breath of God in us, but by sin, we were cast into, out of the garden... And by sin, we were condemned to die. And by sin, that life-giving, eternal life of the Holy Spirit that had once been in us was only a shadow. We only had a mark of even a semblance of God's fingerprint on our life any longer. We were destined to die and condemned to hell for all eternity, separated from God, hopeless and ignorant of our sin, blinded by the eyes of the, blinded in eyes by the one of the wicked one of this age, right? But now Jesus says, guess what? When I die, and as I'm about to do this this week, the Holy Spirit is going to draw people into me. And if they believe me in truth, they will receive the Holy Spirit by repenting of their sin and turning to God and believing on what Jesus' work on the cross did. The Holy Spirit would be with them, convict them, draw them in, show them what righteousness is, show them what sin is, bring them into a deeper communion. And as you begin to have the Holy Spirit with you, in you, and then upon you, you have this supernatural prayer language that's now with you, this supernatural communion with God. You have power come upon you by faith to do the works that I've done greater than that because I'm up with the Father having fulfilled what I've done. 
I've sent the Holy Spirit uh, now to earth to be in you, with you, and upon you, that you have this abiding relationship with me. Now, doing the works that I had tried to start, you know, Jesus' Messianic movement of three years, he leaves that movement to his disciples and says, do the works I've been doing. And greater works you can do. Multiply these works. More people get saved. More people together filled with the Holy Spirit. That means every single person now can have a messianic, empowered, anointing, deep communion with the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't that matter to you? Man, this is exciting stuff. This is exciting stuff that the same Spirit that Jesus Christ had that raised Him from the dead, the same Spirit that He worked miracles with, the same Spirit that He had born in Him of Mary, the same Spirit that baptized Him uh, like a dove, the same Spirit that He said, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, the same Spirit, now He transmits to His followers by faith through the blood of His own sacrifice so that you and I can have an empowered relationship with God. And so let's talk about that anointing. Look in John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, you have been, they have been retained. I'm giving you authority to preach this gospel. And you know who do those who receive it and those who don't receive it. He'll tell some to shake the dust off their feet, go to the next town. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Can you just take a breath right now and just, Lord, I just receive the Holy Spirit. God, I want to know you. I repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. And Lord, I just want to receive the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. You can just receive him right now where you are because of the blood of Jesus and because you have faith in who he is, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you begin to seek him more and more and say, Jesus, take over every area of my life. And what he does is he tells these disciples this and he expects them to continue to do his work in his absence. And he's providing the Holy Spirit and this great commission so they can proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And they're linked now together with him to do this new ministry. And this is the initial announcement uh, about Pentecost right here. Pentecost is going to illustrate just in a few days from now, from them. So like Jesus is raised from the dead at this point. He's preached to them for 40 days. He tells them to wait for 10 days. They're going to fast and pray to the day of Pentecost in this upper room uh, in Jerusalem. And they're going to receive this mighty empowerment This is the last and final witness we have on this earth is the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God abides in us, and we know we are His children. John would add on in his first epistle in 1 John. And the Holy Spirit is abiding in us today to show us we are God's children. He says there are going to be many false spirits. There's even going to be the Antichrist spirit. There's a spirit of truth that you have to have to know the spirit of error. But he says in 1 John 5, 8 to the church at the end of his life, he says, every spirit that confesses Christ has come, in the, has come in the flesh is from God. The spirit of truth testifies to who Jesus Christ really is. The spirit, of, the, spirit the water, and the blood, he says, all agree. And we know that we have two sacraments today, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and they are all witnesses out of the power of the Holy Spirit. But some, sum it up, it says that for John... For you and for me, the Holy Spirit is the last final proof that Jesus is 
the Son of God, the Messiah. The Holy Spirit is the last and final proof. He's the proof that Jesus came, that he ever walked this earth. We may not understand it. We can feel it. We can do works in his name. We can manifest it. We can pray with deep communion. And you know, you should know here today, as you're listening to this, you should have, if you're a Christian, you should have a confidence, a deeper knowledge. I know many Christians today are worried, am I saved, am I saved, am I saved? The Holy Spirit-filled believer, while we have doubts at times, we don't live in that fear. We have a confidence because we have a communion. Listen to me. Do you have a confidence because you have a communion? Have you repented of your sin? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And don't just stay there. Grow to abide in Him. Grow to be empowered by Him. If you have not worked in the gifts of the Spirit, seek Him to work in the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of boldness uh, to reach the the world for the gospel, gifts of miracles, of healings, of tongues, of interpretation of tongues, of casting out of devils, of healing people, of prophetic words, of dreams, of visions. Uh, But most of all, are we bold? Because we know who we are, I think just by knowing Him and having Him in us and believing this Word, we should be the most bold, powerful people on the face of the earth. We should be because we have a confidence. Jesus is alive. We believe this Word. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and not only that, that the Spirit would, Paul would even add on to this in Galatians, but that Spirit brings that nature of Christ. And even in, in Ephesians, we have this new mind in Him. The Spirit renews our mind and, and transforms the way we think, Paul says in Romans 12. And in Galatians, he says we have the fruit of Christ, not the fruit of the flesh. We, we have this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. We have this, this abiding relationship that our source of who we are every day is in and through the Holy Spirit. And we can say, Lord, help me in my weakness. Heal my body. Heal my family. Give me the words to speak to my coworkers. God, give me the power I need to get through this season. Lord, give me wisdom. Father, help me to know what's right and wrong. You begin to commune. He's going to begin to commune back. In John 15, he talks about abiding in the vine. It's the same, same week he's telling them about being in the Spirit. He's telling them about abiding in the vine, knowing Him, and having the source, the supply, the nutrients. The Holy Spirit would be the, the nutrients of that vine, the DNA. It would be the liquid, the sap. Without the vine having sap, there's no life-giving nutrients. And so God can have the roots, and we can be uh, branches off the vine. But there should be this flow from the roots through the vine into the branches. And as the, the roots and the nutrients flow, we'll produce fruit. That's the Holy Spirit. You can't have a relationship with Jesus and not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You can't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and not have a relationship with Jesus. The two are one. They're working together towards the same goal, to honor God and glorify God in and through your life. So let me ask you today, how's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? I remember reading a book early in my uh, walk with the Lord about waking up every day and, and just communing with the Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do today? How are you today? Holy Spirit, you know, you're my lead partner in this life. You're the one I'm going to do, do this life with. And you're here to help me glorify Jesus and live according to His mission and do His works on this earth. And that's your goal every day. If you've given your life to Christ... It's not to live your life for yourself anymore. It's to live your life for Jesus' glory, for God's glory. Live your life unto Him, and you can only do that with His help. 
You cannot do Christianity apart from the Holy Spirit. Everything else is works of flesh, and the flesh can never please God and never can do the works that Jesus Christ did. It doesn't have a confidence in who you are, and it often doesn't know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And we fall into false doctrines. We we fall into false teachings. We start being selfish. We fall into sin and pride, and we don't even know it. But if we have an abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit, like John would tell us at the end of that last week, and if we get into that detail, I encourage you, this week to read that those final chapters of John chapter 14 through John chapter 20 to get into these last moments with Christ as we're about to hit next week into the, the farewell message he has and the passion narrative. It's going to be a phenomenal lesson in the next two weeks. But the most important thing as we're about to go with Christ into death is to understand one of his last encouraging words to his disciples was, guys, you're not alone. Guys, my spirit is with you. Guys, you're going to need this guy. He's the spirit of truth, the counselor, the advocate. You need him to have nutrients in your life. You need him to have this blowing wind that is mysterious, that's empowering, that's going to make a life-changing effect in your life. You need the Holy Spirit to have the living water, the life-giving water, eternal life. You know your eternal life begins the moment you receive the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit's going to raise you from the dead. That same Holy Spirit's going to help you get through uh, into heaven It's the Holy Spirit right now that's going to help you get through tough times. Can you press pause right where you are? Let's just take a moment. Just receive the Holy Spirit. Life's stressful right now. All across America today and the world, people are sick and embodied. There's financial crisis. There's economic crisis. There's health crisis. There's rioting in the streets in America today. There's all kinds of things. Don't we need the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, help us navigate this time. Holy Spirit, I pray for every person listening to this message. God, empower us. Live and breathe through us. Renew us. Touch every person sick today. God, bring comfort to those who need comfort. Lord, teach those who are in error and wrong doctrine. Those of us who may be selfish and self-seeking. We Christianity has become very much more about our comforts and our, our uh, pleasures. And Lord, it becomes religious. Make us abide with you again. Convict us of sin as is your job, Lord. Holy Spirit, convict us of sin. Draw us deeper into Christ. For those who are listening today, God, who are not empowered with the upon you moment of the Holy Spirit, who don't have that messianic anointing to do the works you have done, who don't feel the power perhaps to cast out a demon or or to see a lame person be healed or, or to witness to their friends, they don't have the boldness. Father, I pray they just continue to abide and seek in you and ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be upon them. And Father, I know that as they begin to seek in faith and and begin to worship you with all of their heart, Father, you're going to answer that prayer because you love to give good gifts to your children. And you let Jesus ascend to heaven so the very reason that we might all do the works of Christ, that we might all have an intimate personal relationship, that we might all have access into the glorious presence of God at any moment, any time, in any place. I bless you today in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope you'll share it with someone and follow us online at sanctuaryfwc.com or on Facebook at Sanctuary FWC.